to take your Bibles and open them to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22 is where we are this morning. We are studying the Gospel of Luke. We have been in it for over a year now. And we are concluding our great study of this incredible epistle. And, and the Lord has arranged it so we can get right up through Easter and, and keep studying. And on Good Friday, we're going to keep going in this Luke. And we'll go all the way to next Sunday, Easter, and the resurrection. And, and uh, the Sunday after that, Lord willing, all the way to uh, the commissioning of the disciples. And so I'm excited. But today we are looking at Luke 22, beginning at verse 39. And we'll go all the way to the end of the chapter, but I would just ask you, if you would mind, just joining with me as I seek the Lord here before we begin our study. Father, we are grateful on this Sunday that is called Palm Sunday to be able to reflect on the redemption that is ours. Thank you for these songs that we sung. I thank you for the testimonies of our brothers from the Czech Republic. I thank you for the children that sung to us. And, and Lord, uh, what a great morning so far to reflect on your great love, that love that truly controls us. And now as we approach this study, I pray, God, that it would just strengthen us. I pray that it would be a bedrock in our lives as we engage this, this text it, and it reveals our own weaknesses. I pray that, that it would highlight the strength of Christ this morning and, and that those that need to be reminded of, of what we have in Christ, that this would be the day that they would find their strength and their encouragement and instruction on how to walk in a manner that, that allows us to endure to the end. Thank you, God, for the privilege we have to study this this morning. May it conform us to the image of Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Well, as we have noted, we're, it's Palm Sunday. Now, we're, a few weeks ago, we actually looked at the passage of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, so we're not going to uh, recycle back to that, but we're actually just going to be here on the night that Jesus was in the garden when Judas betrayed him. And we're going to look at that night tonight, we're, today. We're going to look at what happened when Judas came in and betrayed him, and Jesus praying, and and, and Peter denying, and, and all that happened in that evening. And, and we are going to be reminded of something very important. And in fact, I'm going to say this a lot throughout the service, and, and I just want to remind you, we're actually going to be really reminded of what the nature of spiritual warfare is, and we're going to be reminded as to, to how to deal with it in our lives. And I just want to just, uh, on, on the front end, just again, define what the essence of spiritual warfare is. Because you have to see that to understand the, the crisis of this night. You know, spiritual warfare simply defined as this. When the pressure comes upon you so intensely that you feel as if disobeying Jesus or walking away from Jesus or, or rebelling against God seems a better option than following. That's spiritual warfare. When suddenly it, you look at a situation and you say, maybe it's better I don't do what God says because the cost is too great. That's what spiritual warfare is. I remember facing this as an 18-year-old young man in the Air Force, and I arrived at my first duty station, and because I was just out of my training, uh, I was assigned a job in my unit, which was to take care of the supply room. 
not an exciting job, but that's just what the guys out of training get. And, and so I was brought into the supply room. And in the supply room were these two veteran sergeants. These guys were Vietnam veterans. They had uh, uh, served and saw a lot of combat in Vietnam. And, uh, and they were salty, to say the least. You know, colorful language, tough guys. And, and very intimidating for me. I was very intimidated by them. And, and, uh, and in the course of a conversation, they'd ask me if I wanted to go out to the to the airmen's club afterwards and, and, and hang out with them, and I told them no. And, and they, they got a sense that there was something different about me because I was a Christian. And so this one guy, he, he came over to the desk, and he had a knife, and he, you know, just trying to be, you know, a jerk, I think. You know, he took the knife, and he, and he slammed it in the desk, and he goes, you're not a Christian, are you? And in a moment of weakness and cowardice, I said, no, I'm not, because I was scared. I was scared of them. These guys intimidated me. And at 18, I did not have the courage to say yes. I didn't. At that moment, it was overwhelming. That's spiritual warfare. At that moment, saying, you guys seem scarier to me than God does. I'm more scared of you than I am of God, and so I'm going to acquiesce to you. I succumbed to spiritual warfare. I wasn't ready at 18 for that. If you fast forward six years later, six years later, I don't remember that incident at all. Six years later, I am in the reserves and, uh, and I got called up for something. I don't know what it was. And, and I was at this airport and, uh, and this guy who was in the supply room, he was called up as well. He was in the reserves at that point. And uh, we saw each other. We started talking and, and he said, what are you doing with your life? And and what I was doing is I was studying for the ministry. So I saw I'm studying to be a pastor. And he's like, you're a Christian? And I said, yeah. He said, were you a Christian when you came into the unit? I said, yeah. He's like, I knew you were. <laughs> and then he proceeded to cuss me out. Just unloaded expletives. If you want to interpret it cleanly, he was calling me a wimp. But, uh, but he used much more colorful language than that, and he, and he walked away. I didn't really remember until that moment that I had done that. And when he said that, I was ashamed. I was just ashamed, like, wow. I can't believe I had, like, no courage at that moment. I thought I would have had courage, but I didn't. You see, that's, that's spiritual warfare. That moment when you face a situation and you say, will I obey or won't I obey? Will I identify with Jesus, or won't I? Will I fight in the flesh, or will I fight in the spirit? How do you handle it? That's what the crisis of this night is. It's a crisis of temptation. It's a crisis of betrayal. It's a crisis of identity. There's two things I want you to see as we walk through this text here. Two very simple things. The first thing I want you to see is this, that only Jesus was able to withstand Spiritual warfare perfectly. Only Jesus was. No one else could do it. And the second thing that I want you to get from this is that only in Jesus can you withstand. Only in Jesus can you withstand. None of us will have the courage when the pressure's on unless we are in Christ. And we're going to see what that means today. Let's look at this. Let's look at the first crisis of the moment, a crisis of temptation. Look at verse 39 with me. It says, And he came out and went 
as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came come to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So now we have discovered where Jesus was sleeping. It was hidden. He was hiding out somewhere. The, the authorities couldn't find him. We discover he's hiding out in the Mount of Olives. So they're going after the Passover meal. They're going to their place to sleep. The disciples are there. And uh, Jesus, though, instead of telling him to go to bed, he says, guys, you have to pray. You have to pray. You have to pray because you have no idea what is about to come. You have no idea the pressure that is about to fall upon us. And what I don't want to have happen is when that pressure comes, that you crumble. Pray. Now, if you want to catch the only application today's today's sermon, it's the only action point of today's sermon is this. Prayer is the only key. Prayer is it. There's no classes, there's no seminars, there's nothing that can help you endure the war, spiritual warfare of our age other than prayer. Period. That's it. Nothing else. No books, no seminars, no conferences, nothing. Prayer. Jesus says, "Guys, I need you to pray." Now notice what happens, verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So he goes just a little bit away. He kneels down. And notice his prayer. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Remember what he said at the Passover? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to shed my blood for redemption. Now he says, Father, if I were going to interpret this prayer, this prayer is this. If there's any other way for redemption, I'm open. I'm open. Now, what is the temptation at this moment for him? The temptation of this moment is he's about ready to bear the full weight of the wrath of God for sins he didn't commit. I would call that spiritual warfare at that moment, right? Right? You think it's hard just dealing with sinners in the world. Try dying for sins you never committed. Bearing the full weight of the wrath of God. So now, here's a moment. What will Jesus do? He comes before the Father and he says, Okay, Father, if there's any other path, I'm open. But here is my heart. I don't want my will, but your will. So the only thing I'm open to at the end of the day is your will. I'll take this path, whatever it is. But he knows how intense it is. Now, what are his disciples doing? We know what his disciples are doing. They're, they're sleeping. So they're not interceding for this moment. So the father is going to strengthen him. He sends an angel down, right? Because his pals aren't there to support him. He's by himself. He's alone. Angel comes and strengthens him. What does Jesus do with that strength? He converts whatever strength he gets from the angel to what? For more prayer. More earnest prayer. So now he's praying all the more. He's sweating so hard. I don't know if he was actually sweating blood. Some people say that, but the text kind of just makes it says that the sweat was so thick coming off his body that it looked like blood hitting the ground. It was that thick. It, it basically, you, he's pushed 
to the highest level of any human point of anxiety that anyone could ever be. He's beyond the nervous breakdown. He's beyond that. He is at the highest point of agony, but where does he go? To the Father. He goes to the Father. There's no, nothing else to do. No conversation with the disciples. No conversations with anyone else. He has got to bring his agony and his pain to the Father. If he's going to endure, the only way to endure is through prayer. That is it. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Prayer is the means through which we deepen our commitment and our trust in God. That's what he's doing. I want your will. I need to deepen that. I need to deepen it. You know, I didn't pray much as an 18-year-old. And when the pressure came on with two guys that were 15 years older than me that scared the daylights out of me, two combat veterans that both seen about four tours in Vietnam and had done it all, and they scared me. And I had no courage because my commitment to Christ was shallow because I just did not pray. I did not go into the military bowing my knees saying, Father, I'm about ready to face people who hate you. I'm about ready to go in situations where I might take a stand and have to be alone, Father. And my flesh will want to run and deny you. Deepen my faith. Deepen my faith. Let your will be done no matter the cost. I never prayed those prayers. And when the pressure came on at 18, I bolted. I bolted. Jesus is going there. He is praying. He's praying. Now notice verse 45, what happens. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Right? They are, see, they're sad. They know lots of bad things about ready to happen. That was the most depressing Passover they ever had. Jesus has just told them lots of bad things are going to happen and, and someone's going to betray them and, and he's just rebuked them and, 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 and he knows things are bad because they're hiding out. They can't even stay in someone's house. They've got to sleep out in a, you know, in a park and hiding and they know things are bad. And they're so sorrowful, they disengage. You know, things are so tough that they say, I've got to disengage, I'm going to sleep, right? I can identify with that, can't you? I can identify when things get stressful. It's easier for me just to disengage than to engage in prayer. And he says, why are you sleeping, guys? You've got to pray. You have no idea what's about to come. You've got to pray, but they don't. They do not pray. Stress did not drive them to prayer. Stress drove them to denial, to disengagement. It's an interesting thing. You look at our world today. Watching TV, drinking, drugs, alcohol, immorality. Those are all things people do to get rid of stress, right? They just they want to escape the stress, create little fantasy worlds for themselves, jump into a video game, create a little alternate world, virtual world for themselves, create little virtual characters, or throw yourself into Facebook world or Pinterest or whatever else is going on and just create these little alternate realities for your life. And Jesus is yelling, pray, pray, pray. You have to pray or you won't endure. And we kind of go, well, what I need is a little TV time. You know, that's what I need. That would really help me. Yeah, right. So they're not. 
when we don't meet the crisis of this world with prayer, we're unprepared. And this is what Jesus is saying. You're not prepared. Prayer is our only response. First, last, only response. Okay, so in the crisis of temptation, Jesus meets it with an agonizing prayer. The disciples meet it with sleep. They're missing it. Okay? Now there's a second crisis that suddenly emerges. So now we got the second one's going to layer on top of the first one. The second one now is betrayal. Now here's what's going to happen. A sin is going to be committed. A sin's going to be committed. Now the question is this. When this sin is committed, how will you respond? In the flesh or in faith? Okay? So, so the pressure comes on. An action comes against you. Something goes on around you. There are usually two responses. There's only two responses. You'll either respond in faith and godliness, or you'll respond in anger, frustration, rage, temper tantrums. Look at what happened. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? There are hundreds of soldiers and temple police there bearing weapons, right? Hundreds of soldiers have shown up. You've got the high priest there, or the chief priest there. You've got all the aides that are part of the chief priest. You've got the entire religious group there. You've got the temple police, which would be the Jewish police, and you've got a Roman cohort. I mean, we are talking a heavily armed group of people. And walking, these hundreds of people are walking into uh, the forest area where Jesus is sleeping. Jesus, Judas is leading the way because Judas knows where Jesus is hanging out. Now these soldiers have to arrest Jesus. They're going to make sure they get the right guy in the middle of the night. And so Judas goes up, kisses him to say, this is the one you're going to arrest. And Jesus confronts him. This is it, huh? This is how you're going to betray me. You're going to use the mark of friendship as a way of turning me over to my death. You know, what is happening here? The betrayal happened. Now, picture yourself as one of the apostles. You've just, your close friend, Judas, has just betrayed Jesus. You look around and you see hundreds of swords. Okay? You see these soldiers there. Jesus has just told you, if you remember this from last week, he said, hey, make sure you bring a sword with you. Do you remember this? Remember if you were here last week, he said, you know, if you don't have a sword, buy one. They said, we got two swords. Okay, so, so in their mind, and I believe this is literally what they're thinking, oh, this is the time for the swords. They got two up against 600. Okay, they got two swords. Their friend has just betrayed them. A horrible crime has just happened. Now the question is, will you respond in the flesh or will you respond in faith? Well, how will you respond? What do they do? Verse 49. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, meaning when those realized, hey, he's getting arrested, right? They figured this out. They did the math in their head. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? We got two swords, you know, up against the 600. Is this the moment? 
Will this be like a multiplying moment, right? I mean, look what you did with fish and bread, you know? <laughs> Are we all going to be loaded with swords on fire? We're going to, you know, is this the moment? Is this the big clash? And one of them, who we know from another gospel is Peter, doesn't even wait for the answer. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Uh, we could speculate he probably wasn't aiming at the ear. Right? <laughs> you know, he's, and he probably ducked and it probably just clipped his ear. And uh, you can imagine this. Now, I look at this moment and I think, boy, I am so not above this or beyond this because I respond in anger to so many trivial things in the world. Put me in a traffic jam and see what I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, rage sometimes, you know, temper tantrums. We, we just so quickly act like babies. I'm not getting my way. Ugh! Right? You know, that kind of thing. That's just that flesh that comes out. And it's a sign we're not praying. We're not, we're not grounded. And when the, when the sin comes upon us, what comes out of us is anger. Righteousness isn't flowing at that moment. And in your life, a little tip here. If when the pressure's on, somebody does something wrong, somebody hurts you, if what flows out is anger, that should trigger a little thought in your brain from this point forward. I probably don't pray enough. I probably don't pray enough. I'm probably not ready for temptation. I'm not ready for when people sin around me. And so when they sin, when my kids sin or my spouse sins, someone sins in the church or someone sins at work, comes out. That's what's going on in Peter, man. He's just he's going for this guy. I was thinking about how bloody that moment would have been. Because, you know, when you cut yourself in the head, man, it just bleeds forever right? There's just a lot of blood up there. So I was just picturing this moment and this servant's ear cut off, and he's no doubt screaming, and blood is everywhere, and Peter's, you know, ready to charge. Jesus, look at verse 51. Jesus said, no more of this. Stop it, is what he says. Luke says, and he touched his ear, and he healed him. Other passages have him picking up the ear and putting it back on him. The point is, boom, healed instantly. Still didn't change the, the wickedness of this moment. I can imagine what that servant would have thought. Ear is fixed. Pain's probably instantly gone. And Jesus is saying, enough. We are not responding to evil with evil. We're not doing that. This is not a moment for a temper tantrum. This is not a moment to pick up the swords and start slashing. This is not a moment to storm out of the room, stomp your feet, and act like a baby. This is not that moment. You see, guys, you weren't praying, and now that the pressure is on, what is coming out of you is anger, fighting. So what happens? Verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out? Was against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hand on me, lay hands on me. But this is your hour. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. There's a lot he's saying there. He's first of all showing how illegal this moment is and how foolish it is, right? It's a, it's a pretty foolish moment. He's saying, you know, here I am every day in the temple teaching and you don't arrest me. And then in the middle of the night, you come out like 600 soldiers to get me as if 
I'm that tough of a guy? If I was that wicked, you should have arrested me in the temple. Why are you coming out in the middle of the night, dragging me out here with all these weapons? You want to know why? Because this is the power of darkness. Here's what he's saying. Satan is pressing this moment to try to get everybody, including Jesus, to scatter. Will Jesus run from the cross? Will his disciples run from the Messiah? Will this whole thing end? Can we turn the pressure on? You see, this wasn't just soldiers coming in and arresting, and this is why Jesus said, listen, do you understand? This is not just a moment where it's just human against human here. This is the power of darkness at work. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, we don't battle against flesh and blood. The battle isn't between me and you. The battle isn't between you and other people. The battle isn't between you and your boss. It's the reality of a spiritual warfare that goes on inside of you that says, will you do what God wants, no matter the cost or not? Will you love? Will you serve? Will you forgive? Will you do this or not? There is really where the battle lies. The pressure's on. This is a moment of darkness. The power of evil is in the heart of Judas. And this is a wicked moment to put pressure on Jesus to say, I don't want this cup and I'm walking away. But we already know what he prayed. <laughs> I'm more committed to your will, God, than I am to anything else. I'll go through it. I'll go through it. Now, there's a third pressure. So the first is just this temptation, being ready for it. Then we have the sin that comes on top. Jesus responds in mercy and kindness and love, restores the guy's ear, submits to the process. The disciples, they respond in the flesh, so they get angry and, you know, yuck starts flying out of their mouth. The men fought in the, faith, in, in the flesh and Jesus fought in faith. But now there's a third pressure and it's the pressure and the crisis of what we'll just simply call identity. Look at verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too was a Galilean, meaning I can recognize his accent. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now here's the spiritual war for this moment. Now you got to picture this. you got... Roman soldiers, temple soldiers, servants, high priests, all the entourage that goes with it, right? So lots of people are coming. They got Jesus. They're, they're pulling him into the high priest's house. There's a courtyard outside the house. And so the servants are hanging out. It's the middle of the night. They get a fire going because it's chilly. Peter, you got to hand it to him. He's, he's got a lot of energy, right? So he's kind of following along. The rest of the disciples scatter. He's kind of trying to watch what's happening here. And he sneaks into the camp with the servants where the fire is going. And, uh, and I'm just picturing Peter kind of standing back behind the fire and this girl kind of going, hey, I know him. It's one of the guys. 
No, you know, then it goes on a little bit later. Someone says, yeah, you are one of them. No, I recognize your accent. You're certainly one of them. I am not. Another passage actually says that Peter cussed out Jesus. Another, another gospel says, he actually says, I don't know that blankety blank man. You know, just to kind of say, I, I'm not part of this guy. I'll attack him. But here's the point. The pressure is on. Will he identify with Jesus? Believing that that moment of identity could cost him everything, you could imagine the temptation. If you identify with Jesus right now, you're in that house with him. You identify with Jesus and you're losing everything. Don't. Don't do it. It's too hard. The cost is too great. So he says, no, no, no. And the third time that he's saying no, because in the third time he says no, he's actually speaking a sentence. He's saying, I don't know this guy, know anything about him. And while he's talking, I'll spare you a rooster noise. You know, the rooster, the rooster crows. Now, Jesus' prophecy came true. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but I'm going to restore you. And after you're restored, I want you to go strengthen the brethren. Peter didn't believe it. Jesus said, I'm telling you, man, before morning comes, you'll have, you'll have, you'll have denied me a third time. Now, there's a very interesting moment here that I want to point out to you. Because just as Peter was denying him on the third time, Jesus was being brought out of the high priest's house. And he's being escorted to another location. So they're dragging Jesus along. He's bound up. He's got his hands bound. They've got his, his robe stripped off him. He's being escorted as a prisoner. They're escorting Jesus through this area. This person says, I recognize your accent. And Peter, in essence, says, I, I don't know this man. I don't know anything about him. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster crows, and then look at verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Eye contact. Whoa. Right? Peter, and, and the other, other gospels tells us he actually swears. I don't know this blankety-blank man. And then Pete, Jesus looks right at Peter. And what happens? What does the text tell us? Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he did what I would have done, all right? He went out and wept bitterly. Why did Jesus look at him? I will tell you this. Jesus looking at Peter is better than Jesus looking away from Peter, right? Right? I mean, if you're going to pick one or the other, you don't, want, you don't want Peter denying it and Jesus going, oh, like that. Because that's rejection. He didn't reject him. He looked at him. I believe he looked at him so that Peter would remember. But he'd remember the, the, the three things that Jesus said. One, you will deny me. Two, I will restore you. And three, you have a mission to go restore other people. This is going on in Peter's brain. But here's the reality that I want you to catch. Only Jesus has the ability to withstand this moment. This is why we have to pray. We don't have it. I, I, I'm not faulting Peter one bit. I wouldn't have been with the disciples running. I wouldn't even have followed. Peter had more courage than I had in the flesh. I wouldn't have followed. But Jesus endures this thing. In fact, notice, 
how Jesus handles the pressure of this moment. Look at, what, look at verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. And they also blindfolded him and kept asking, Prophesy, who has struck you? Right? I mean, they're just tormenting him. And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When the day came, so this is, how did Jesus spend that night? Being beaten up by, by, by guards, being mocked, ridiculed, just slapped around. Right? The pressure on. Will he walk away from this moment? Will he say, this cup is too much to bear. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm gone. I'm out of here. No. But this isn't the bigger cup. This isn't the big, big, bigger cup. This is just the cup that Satan's throwing at him. There's a bigger cup he has to face. And that's the cup of the wrath of God. But this pressure's on him. So morning comes. Verse 66, when the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. Okay, so they want to know who he is. You the Messiah? He says, you know what, if I answer the question, you won't believe me. And if I ask you, who do you think I am, you have no courage to answer the question because you're afraid of the multitudes. So you have no faith. You don't believe on the Messiah, but you have no courage to stand against the people afraid that they're going to throw a riot and you'll get in trouble. Okay, so you're faithless cowards. But here's what's going to happen from this point forward. You're going to see the Son of Man at the right hand of the power of God, meaning you are going to witness power through the Son of Man like you have never seen in your life. Powerful moment. And they say, are you the son of man? Well, you guys have called me that. That's his answer. You've used that term against me. So he's saying, listen, by saying that he's going to be at the right hand of the power of God, he's calling himself God. And they say, oh, there he is. He's just identified himself with God. Now, I want to tell you about the importance of that answer. By answering that way, Jesus has now entered phase two of the pressure. Phase one is the satanic pressure, but now he's on an irreversible track to the cross where he will face the wrath of God. And he did it. He didn't back away. He didn't get mad at these guys. He didn't act out of rage. Why did God have him go through all of that? so that we could see that he was the perfect sacrifice. When faced up against all of the pressure that Satan could throw against him, all of the spiritual warfare that could be mustered against Jesus, he never sinned once. He didn't throw a temper tantrum. He didn't storm out of the room. He didn't say, you guys are a bunch of losers, and you guys don't know what you're talking about. He didn't call fire down from heaven. He didn't do anything. Faced with the greatest injustice of the world, his first response wasn't, I need justice my way. You know, he didn't do that. No one cares about me. He didn't throw temper tantrums. Right? And he'd look at his disciples and say, can't you pray with me after all I've done for you? You don't care about me. Right? He didn't do any of that. None of that flesh leaked out that leaks out of us 
at least once a month, right? You know, once every six months or once a quarter, you know, <laughs> two years ago, I don't know. Right? I mean, this stuff just leaks out of us every day, doesn't it? We are all on the bubble of a pity party every moment of our life, aren't we? You can say amen to that. I know it's true, right? This is true for me. This is our flesh, and Jesus is saying, get on your knees and pray. So when the pressure comes on, pity party doesn't come out. When the pressure comes on, whining doesn't come out. When the pressure comes on, anger doesn't come out. When the pressure comes on, you can respond in the faith, in faith and trust that God is in control. Peter tells us that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. That's why when they beat him, he didn't beat him back. When they swore at him, he didn't swear back at him. He trusted himself to God. So what happens? Jesus endures this. Now what will happen is this will unleash a torrent of spiritual warfare that he will handle perfectly. Now here's the point. I said at the beginning, there's two things that I want you to get. So let's wrap it up. Here are the two things, very simple. Number one, only Jesus could withstand spiritual warfare. This is not a sermon saying, look at what Jesus did, why aren't you doing it? This is a sermon saying, only Jesus can do it. Our flesh can't. Which means, the second point, only in Jesus can you withstand spiritual warfare. Only in Jesus. I was trying to work on this sermon yesterday, and I had a phone call with somebody, not from this church, okay? Not from anybody who will probably listen on the internet, okay? And, uh, but at the end of the phone call, I was upset. A situation, a complex situation where something needed to get done. person didn't do something the way that needed to get done. Created a lot of heartache, a lot of tension for a lot of people. I'm one of the people it created a, a headache for. And I was upset. And I was at the church office, walking around those training tables, upset. What's coming out is flesh. Now, mind you, I'm working on this sermon, right? It's coming out. Finally, I said, wait a minute. I'm now seeing this person as the enemy. The moment someone becomes an enemy in your life, flag, you're in the flesh. That's the trigger right there. Because we don't fight against people. This is spiritual warfare. So a guy went to my office. I got on my knees. I'm not sharing this because like, I'm the hero of the story here. I'm just telling you this works. got on my knees, and I said, God, I see this person as the enemy. All kinds of bad things are going on in my head towards this person. They've really made my life hard. God, help me not see him as the enemy. And when I talk to him again, because I'm going to have to, Prepare me for that temptation that's going to come to want to argue with them. Help me, God. Free me from, the, from seeing them as the enemy. Would you let that go in me? Because right now, that's why I see them, and they're angering me. And I prayed that, and I went through that. And when I was done with the prayer, I felt at peace. Now, it's not a one-time prayer. That was installment payment number one. <laughs> and there will be many more installment payments to that prayer. But I want to tell you that to tell you only in Jesus. Because tomorrow you're going to have that same phone call from someone else. You're going to deal with that same issue with your child or that same issue with your spouse or that same issue at work or 
Same issue somewhere. And if you sense the temper tantrum coming on, that should be the trigger. We're in the flesh. And only in Jesus can we withstand this. Only in Jesus. So, I'm going to be quiet, and we need to pray. Because there's only one application, right? Pray. So, whatever it is in your life right now, whoever it is, they're not the enemy. Whatever it is, it's not the enemy. We fight against spiritual warfare that's trying to get you to say, I'm not going to respond in faith, I'm going to respond in flesh. And so deliver that to the Lord right now and say, God, change my attitude, free me, set me free that I might respond in faith, not in the flesh. So take a moment, just bow your head. I'm just going to give you a minute to pray in, in the quietness of your heart and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we all face the pressure of whether or not we'll respond in faith versus flesh. And that pressure is hard and tough. Every moment, it seems like every day it happens. And we, we think about these things and we respond to them because it's true. And, and Lord, I pray that we would not try to go to seminars, we'd not try to set up special classes on dealing with problems, we wouldn't try to overcomplicate the issue. It's very simple. All of us, at any point, anywhere we are, with our eyes open, our eyes closed, standing, kneeling, sitting, laying in bed, we can pray. Lord, when we're on the phone with people and, and we sense the, the tension just, growing inside of us, Lord, remind us to pray. When we have to forgive our spouse or our child for the millionth time, we want to just scream. Lord, may we pray. Lord, I just pray that we would understand the simple command of Jesus. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. Pray that it doesn't overtake you. Pray, pray, pray. Lord, we don't need giant prayer meetings. We don't need to go to giant prayer conferences. We need to just pray. So, Lord, this week, when we meet our flesh, may it remind us to pray. That we might not enter the temptation and walk in the power of of the victory that you've given to us, your victory that overcame, your victory that endured to the cross, your victory that overcomes after the cross, the power that resides in us because you've given us your spirit, spirit of victory. May we pray. Lord, may we not be known for our anger. May we not be known for our frustration, for manipulation, for yelling. Lord, may we be known as men and women who pray. Let us pray and not see people as the enemy. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.